Welcome to This Week in Linux. This episode is jam-packed with stuff. It's actually kind of ridiculous how much there's in this episode. So we're going to talk about the Linux kernel itself with 6.5 being released. Also, we're going to celebrate some birthdays slash anniversaries for Valve's Proton and Bugzilla. And then we're going to be talking about the future of the Ubuntu desktop, as well as the Enterprise Linux drama is back. And this time, not for Red Hat, though. We're going to be talking about CIQ slash Rocky Linux. Also, we've got some distro releases and some more app news. All of this and so much more coming up on this episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Linbit. More on them later. It's that time. Another release of the Linux kernel is upon us, and this is one to look forward to using for sure. So the highlights of this release is improved performance and power efficiency for AMD Ryzen Zen 2 or newer hardware, because 6.5 now defaults to using AMD's p-state EPP driver. And there's some Pharonix benchmarks in the show notes for those who would like to check it out because they are very promising. Also, Linux 6.5 can initialize much faster than previously, even as much as a factor of 10, though this is mostly for server computers rather than desktops, so you might not notice it if you're using it for a desktop. There are a variety of file system improvements, such as Extended 4 gains faster parallel direct I.O. overwrites, ButterFS gets various performance bumps, and the Paragon NTFS3 driver sees various improvements. There's also more Intel hybrid CPU tuning, initial support for MIDI 2.0 and USB 4 version 2, as well as more enablement work for Wi-Fi 7 and just so much more. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of the Linux kernel with 6.5, you'll find links in the show notes. Five years ago, Valve changed the Linux gaming world forever. The vast majority of what makes Linux a viable gaming platform is really thanks to Valve and the work that they have been doing to make it happen. So five years ago, Valve announced the release of Proton. Proton is a compatibility layer that makes it possible to play Windows games on Linux. Kind of like Wine, but a little bit more on top of Wine. It actually uses Wine, but there's more to it. Now, with Proton, playable games verified for the Steam Deck has now reached over 10,000 titles, and ProtonDB reports that there's even more than that. But the reason Valve had such an impact is not just Proton. I became a full-time Linux desktop user back in the time where gaming on Linux was just not really a thing. Sure, there were some attempts here and there over the years, but we're talking about a total available of about a dozen games, rather, or maybe dozens of games, rather than thousands of games where we are now. One game on Steam in Windows is what I had when I switched to Linux. So I was more of a console gamer back then, not a PC gamer. And the first time Valve changed Linux gaming was actually many, many years ago when they announced Steam was coming to Linux. This made it so I could once again try to become a PC gamer because I was not before. And now that's all I game on. So thank you very much, Valve, for doing that. Then they tried to do their own Steam-powered console line. Well, not really necessarily a Steam-powered console, but it didn't really work out. These were called the Steam machines, and the platform was just not really ready at the time. And it wasn't even made by Valve. It was more of like a, a, a partnership between Valve and various manufacturers, and it, it just didn't work. Anyway, it was good for Linux, though, because 
it brought more developers and more attention and therefore more games to Linux. Now, many years have passed since the Steam machines, and then Proton was announced to kickstart a new era of Linux gaming. This led to the Steam Deck being made, which brought even more attention and support to Linux gaming, and Valve continues to be awesome. So thanks to Valve, Codeweavers, and everyone else who made Proton such a success. Also, there is a fun write-up about this whole thing on GamingOnLinux.com, where Liam talks about his experience with covering Linux gaming as a news source. And I remember when he first started that website, and I kind of laughed because I thought, Okay, in about three weeks, you'll run out of stuff to talk about because that's how many games we have. And now I'm laughing at how Valve made me so wrong. So uh, go check that out if you want. I'll have links in the show notes for that. And also for just more information about Proton, you'll find links in the show notes. Oliver Smith of Ubuntu wrote a lengthy post on the Ubuntu Discourse Forum about the future of the Ubuntu desktop. I'll have the full post in the show notes for anyone who wants to check it out. What they say in the post, though, is that they're talking about what is currently the state of Ubuntu as well as the future. And they say, and this is their claims from the blog post, Ubuntu Desktop has more than 6 million monthly active users based on device checking for desktop-specific updates and not including those behind a corporate firewall or proxy. Ubuntu Desktop is by far the most popular Linux distribution for developers, with 27% in the 2023 Stack Overflow Developer Survey. Ubuntu Desktop is the most used desktop for Linux gaming. They say when you include older LTS and interim releases grouped inside of the other category on the Steam Hardware Survey. Now, there's also other things in that category, clearly, and we're not really sure exactly what it is, but it's probably safe to say that it is, just based on the numbers of how many people use Ubuntu Desktop. As And also, if you count the distros based on Ubuntu, which also kind of relies on Ubuntu support for the gaming, you know, that sort of... Anyway, the desktop market is also changing, and they're acknowledging this, and they're saying the re- one of the reasons that it's changing is an increased focus on security, including a wide range of multi-factor authentication tools, secure boot, hardware-backed encryption, and immutable OSs. They also were saying that the rapid transition of user data and enterprise management suites to the cloud is happening, and they're going to address some of this stuff in the future. So let's talk about the future of Ubuntu. Now, there's a new installer, and this could enable the ability to have a lot of cool stuff, like a laptop with Ubuntu pre-installed with customizations that could be applied on first boot to create a personalized or enterprise-specific installation through device enrollment. They also are teasing some kind of hardware news. We don't know what it is, but they made note that devices from Dell, HP, Lenovo, Raspberry Pi, and other ARM devices and cloud devices are available. And they also noted that related to Ubuntu 23.10, they're keeping quiet about something. So that'll be interesting to see. Also for Ubuntu 23.10, there's um, they're talking about having a modern and performant app store, ability to customize Ubuntu desktop images, quarter screen tiling, and, and they're doing investigations into providing a mechanism for users to manage additional permissions requested by apps, experiments into hardware-backed full disk encryption, as well as uh, many more things, including bringing NetPlan to Ubuntu desktop, to deliver more unified experience for those who are managing Ubuntu across both server and desktop. Also, continued work on Ubuntu Core Desktop, which is basically the immutable version of Ubuntu. And 
so much more. And for a long time, Ubuntu has not been focused on the desktop. It's been pretty clear that that's not been their focus. So it's really good to see that there is a lot of thought and movement here because I think the Linux desktop has a ton of potential still, and I'm glad to see that Ubuntu thinks as well. So if you'd like to learn more, links in the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010 and LinStore, industry-leading open-source software-defined storage. LinBit has an active presence in the open-source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. LinBit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and LinStore. And also with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. LinBit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from LinBit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's L-I-N-B-I-T.com. The enterprise Linux drama continues, but this week doesn't involve Red Hat. Instead, this one is focused solely on Rocky Linux slash CIQ. The Register is reporting that Scilabs has filed a lawsuit against CIQ, the main sponsor of Rocky Linux, and the people behind CIQ, including specifically Greg Kurtzer is named in the documents, not just company versus company. This is worth noting because I have seen people from Rocky Linux claim that this lawsuit has nothing to do with Rocky Linux. But the Rocky Enterprise Software Foundation is registered as a for-profit company owned by a single individual who happens to be Greg Kurtzer. They do claim to be a self-imposed not-for-profit, but that doesn't change the filings. So they do have a board and bylaws and all of that stuff, you know, but there are significant differences between how bylaws are changed and how they have to be registered and so on when you compare a nonprofit versus a for-profit. So that's why I'm talking about it. And that's why it might relate to Rocky Linux. So seeing as how Greg is the sole individual owner of both CIQ and the Rocky Enterprise Software Foundation, I think it is fair to say that this could affect Rocky Linux. Now, at this point, I'm going to be reading a lot from the article published by the Register. So most of the following will be quotes from that article. So from the article, it says that Scilabs accuses Control IQ or CIQ and its founder, Greg Kurtzer, of violating Scilabs trade secrets in order to start its business and also for filing patents based on that technology. Scilabs is a provider of software and services for HPC or high performance compute environments focused on around container runtime technology. Kurtzer was formerly CEO of Scilabs, but left in March 2020 to found what would become CIQ. Scilabs' business is based around Singularity, an open-source container platform, and offers premium services with Singularity Pro. Scilabs is suing CIQ related to the components of what makes Singularity Pro. The register says that in the court documents, 
Scilabs alleges that Kurtzer and other defendants who were also employees at the company commenced a mass resignation, which the complaint describes as coordinated in March 2020. It goes on to allege that before leaving, some of the defendants accessed Scilab servers and downloaded trade secrets and IP related to its products and business proposals. The complaint lists several allegations of trade secret breaches, a civil conspiracy claim, an unjust enrichment claim, as well as alleging violation of the California Unfair Trade Practices Act, among other things. The suit accuses Kurtzer himself of releasing Fuzzball, a a cloud-native service for workflow management and orchestration in HPC clusters, as open-source technology so that CIQ would afterwards be able to use it without having to pay for it. Scilabs claims that it developed Fuzzball internally as closed-source value-added technology for managing container deployments. Scilabs goes on to allege that CIQ fraudulently applied for U.S. patents on IP in both Fuzzball and armored containers, the latter being technology that provides increased security for container deployments, claiming them as its own. Now, Scilabs alleges that in both cases... It has evidence to show the technology was under development at Scilabs in mid-2019, more than a year before it alleges the IP was stolen, and more than two years prior to the issuance date of the patents. Kurtzer is also accused by Scilabs of downloading multiple documents which it alleged were relating to sales opportunities from the company's servers and alleges he then arranged for all sales inquiries and purchase requests to be held until April 1st, 2020, when he would no longer be employed by Scilabs, directing those sales inquiries and purchase requests to his personal email accounts instead. Two other companies are also named in this court filing, one of them being OpenDrives, an enterprise storage management outfit, and IAG Capital Partners. They are said to be in, have invested in CIQ during the time frame in question and are essentially accused of being aware of and benefiting from what is alleged that CIQ was doing. Okay, now that all of that has been stated, here is my opinion on the topic. I don't know. If what Scilab claims happened, then wow. I will say I find it funny that the registered title the article as CIQ was rejecting the lawsuit. And I mean, of course they would. It would be a very bad move legally to not reject it. I mean, that would be like playing chess and then sacrificing your queen to take a pawn or take nothing. Just getting rid of the queen for some reason. That would be a bad move. So, of course they did. Now, at this point, this is all we know on this topic. But I will, of course, keep you up to date on what we learn So be sure to subscribe to This Week in Linux podcast to keep up with all the enterprise Linux drama as it unfolds. But for now, if you want to learn more, links in the show notes. The Mozilla team has announced the latest release of my favorite web browser, which is Firefox with Firefox 117. If you're wondering why it's my favorite web browser, well, I happen to have a video on that subject I'll have linked in the show notes. But for now, let's talk about the highlights of 117. So they have credit card autofill enhancements in this release. Also, they have new CSS compatibility tooltip within the developer tools inspector. And they've also improved CSS nesting because they now have it enabled by default. 
Also, I kind of buried the lead here. There's a very big new feature that I'm really excited about, and that is it now supports automatic translation of web content. Now, I know you might be thinking, doesn't Google Chrome already do that? Yes, it does. However, this is very different because this isn't cloud-based. This is local translations. So you have, in addition to being able to work offline, all the translations are happening on your side locally. So you have privacy of whatever it's translating, which is awesome. So I'm happy to see that. And I'm also happy to see the massive progress that is happening with Firefox. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Firefox, then you'll find links in the show notes. The Linux from Scratch team has announced the latest release of LFS with Linux from Scratch 12. They say that this release is a major update to LFS and BLFS, with BLFS standing for Beyond Linux from Scratch. The LFS release includes updates to Benutails 2.41, GCC 13.2, and GLibc 2.38. In total, also 38 packages were updated since the last release. And the Linux kernel has also been updated to version 6.4.12. And for those unfamiliar with LFS, Linux from Scratch is a project that provides steps to build your own custom Linux system. This project is very cool, and anyone who goes through it will learn a lot. However, it is not for the faint of heart. Linux from Scratch is much different from an average distro because it's not really a distro. It's more of a guide for building your own system, and it's also books. So there's that. For comparison, people like to say that Arch Linux and Gentoo are hard to install. And that is certainly true, especially when you first try to do that. But Linux from Scratch takes that to a whole other level. I like to do an analogy when I talk about Linux from Scratch to give a context for it. And I'm gonna use cars for this analogy. Most distributions are like regular cars. You get in the car and you just go drive. Then with Arch Linux, that's more like a kit car where you have to build it yourself, but all of the parts are available to you and you just go from there. And then you have Gentoo and Slackware where you have to find the parts individually and then build the car. And then you have LFS where you not only have to find the parts, you also have to manufacture the parts for yourself and then build the car. So it's a very cool project, but if you have never done it before, it will take you a long time. And if you have done it before, it will take you a long time because <laughs> that's just how it works. If you'd like to learn more about Linux from scratch, you'll find links in the show notes. The Magia team, or Magia, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to say it, have announced the latest release of Magia 9.0. For those unfamiliar, Magia is an independent Linux distribution with roots from the Mandriva family of projects. Magia 9.0 is the latest major release of this distro, and it includes improvements to the installer, to the package management, and to disk footprint for the size of the minimal install option of the distro. So let's talk about the highlights of this release. First of all, let's talk about the size of the minimal install. They say that the size of this minimal install has been reduced and it is now the smallest it has been since Magia 4. And the RPM database has switched to SQLite for package management. And this replaces the old and unmaintained Berkeley DB, which will definitely help for performance. Also, NFS support has been modernized. Stage one images are now compressed with Z standard instead of GZIP and various bug fixes and improvements are also included in this release. If you'd like to learn more about Magia 9 or try it out for yourself, you'll find links in the show notes. The regular desktop is a very interesting desktop environment. 
Regolith Desktop 3.0 has also been released recently, and for those unfamiliar with it, Regolith is a desktop environment with a focus on tiling window management. And yeah, that's not a very common thing to say. In fact, Regolith is the only one I can think of. I mean, sure, there's tiling window managers, which are not the same thing as desktop environments, and there's also desktop environments with tiling, but that's just not the same thing as being made for tiling. So yeah, I think it might be the only one. Also, it is worth noting that it's only supported for Ubuntu and Debian distros. So let's talk about Regolith 3.0. This latest release adds support for Ubuntu 23.04 and Debian 12. It also adds a new version for support with a Wayland session using the Sway compositor. By default, Regolith uses i3 right now for X support, and they're working on adding Wayland support with Sway, so that's pretty cool although it is in the alpha stage at the moment. Now, the next things about the latest release of Regolith 3.0 is that it supports fractional scaling on resolutions greater than 1920 by 1080. Diagnostic information is given about the current session now and a lot, lot more. So if you'd like to learn more about Regolith or try it out for yourself, you'll find links in the show notes. The Antics team have announced the latest release of their distribution with Antics 23. Antics is a Debian-based distribution, but most notably, it is systemd-free, as they describe it. This is the first version based on Debian 12. It has support for 32-bit and 64-bit architectures. It has support for sysvnit and runit, and it has ISOs for both of those. And it also comes with the Linux kernel 6.1, which also inherits from Debian. And there's actually kind of some confusing stuff about the release notes. It's not the greatest release notes because it's not clear in certain pieces. It says cups for printing in their release notes. I'm not sure if that's new. If it is, that makes me go like, what were you using for printing before that? But anyway, also it says pipewire support. Not sure if that's new, but if it is, that's awesome because adding pipewire support is fantastic because I want pipewire to be in all distributions because it adds so much value to the audio stack that well, Pulse Audio is good and Jack is good, but Pipewire basically takes those and combines them together and literally combines them together. It's not like it's a replacement. It has it uses all of those together and just makes a much better experience for audio. So I'm really happy to see that. Now, if you want to learn more about Antics and Antics 23, you will find links in the show notes. This week, Bugzilla celebrated their 25th anniversary of this open source bug tracker project. And Bugzilla has been a mainstay and very popular for most of that time. So I just wanted to give a shout out to the project because it has been, it is, it's helped the open source community quite a bit. And I also wanted to note that Bugzilla has updated its look. I wouldn't call it modern necessarily, but it does look much better than it used to. So I'm happy about that. Also, with this anniversary, they announced the formation of the Zaro Boogs Corporation, which will now be overseeing the Bugzilla project. They say this corporation is a taxable, non-profit, non-charitable corporation, and they have filed with the IRS the intent to operate as a 501c4. This status means that IRS would require them to spend money raised on the project for the expenses and stuff like that and not make a profit but money donated to the project would not be applicable for tax deduction because it's not a charity. This is great news, not necessarily the non-tax deduction, but I think it's great news because it makes it so people can help fund the production of Bugzilla, and without some kind of entity to accept donations, it's pretty hard to do so without a mountain of tax-related headaches. 
So I also want to point out that I love the name of the company, Zaro Boogs Corporation. For those who don't know, Zaro Boogs is the message you receive when you search for something in Bugzilla and you find no results. Instead of the zero bugs, it says Zaro Boogs. The reason for this is because all software has bugs, they say, and they didn't want to result have the results say anything about claims where there weren't, weren't bugs or anything. So they made the results message itself buggy. So I really like that. If you want to learn more or check out Bugzilla, you can find links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. And if you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash membership, where you can get a bunch of cool perks like access to patron-only sections of our Discord server and much, much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, while you're there, be sure to check out all the other great stuff we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more at tuxdigital.com slash store. I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux Good News. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell, and I hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring the notification bell. Until next time, I bid you farewell. Okay, yes, they, they rhymed with my name. Is that too much? <laughs>